0: Just happened. Those were Peter's words on that very first moment of that very first Easter morning. What just happened? Can you imagine what Peter must have felt as he stood there, looked in the empty tomb, and saw that his Jesus was not there? I don't know if we can. I don't know if we can sense what Peter sensed, if we can feel what he felt, because for Christians today, Easter has come to mean something. Easter is a celebration. Easter is hope. Easter is good news. Easter is the message of forgiveness, of life, is the message of my salvation. That wasn't what Peter felt. That wasn't what Peter sensed when he looked in that empty tomb and he saw that Jesus wasn't there. I think to understand what Peter felt, we need to go back to rewind just a few days to the morning, the early morning hours of Good Friday. When Peter, who had just said to Jesus, Jesus, I got your back. I will will be with you no matter what, stood and denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. I mean, can you imagine the guilt as he looked in his tomb? Go back a day earlier to Monday, Thursday. He's sitting there with all the disciples, leaned back near Jesus at the table. He said, Jesus, I will never abandon you, even if all these other ones do. Not me. I'll stick with you. Can you imagine the shame as he looked in the tomb? And we can, we can keep rewinding. We can keep going back to the very first time that Jesus made that prediction. I must suffer, I must die, but I will be raised again. And what did Peter say? No, you won't. Not you, Jesus. It can't happen. If you die, I die. I'm going with you. Can you imagine the embarrassment that he felt as he looked in the tomb? And not only was Jesus dead, but he wasn't even there. We can keep rewinding. We can go back three years from that first Easter morning to when Jesus called Peter and said, Come, follow me, I will make you a fisher of people. We can go back to the time where Peter walked on water with Jesus, to the time where Jesus gave Peter the nickname The Rock. Well, and these men had a friendship. They had a relationship. So you couple the embarrassment, the guilt, the shame that Peter must have felt as he looked in that empty tomb with the raw sadness that he lost someone he loved. Can you imagine what Peter felt on that very first Easter morning? The surprise of Easter is that for Peter, he felt disappointment. He felt as empty as that empty tomb. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we don't have to rewind to feel what Peter felt, to sense what Peter sensed on that first Easter. Maybe you feel some disappointment too. I know this isn't probably what pastors should admit on Easter morning, but can I just tell you that some Easter's, I feel disappointment. I mean, you think about what Easter is. I mean, it is the Super Bowl for pastors and for churches. There is so much planning. There's so much preparation. There's so much volunteering that goes into making this Sunday possible. And then we do. We all gather together with our brothers, our sisters in Christ, and we enjoy worship together, a special worship where we sing amazing songs. We bask in the resurrection glory. And then just in a few hours, we're going to go home. We're going to pack up have brunch, take naps, celebrate Easter a little more with our family, but then Monday will come. And just like that, another Easter has come and gone. And yes, we're going to celebrate it in the next Sundays in worship, but by and large, Easter comes and goes. And for this pastor, that's a little disappointing. Can you relate? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're... A skeptic. All this singing, all these gospel readings, this whole church thing, maybe it's not for you. You're here, and you're not going to be rude about it, but if you and I were sitting across from one another having coffee, you might say, yeah, Matt, this church thing, this, this resurrection thing, I don't know if it's for me. I'm not going to be rude about it. I'm here, but I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting through this sermon because, well, that way when I'm sitting next to grandma or grandpa, my boyfriend, girlfriend, or whoever brought me here later, it's not going to be awkward later at dinner. I don't know. Maybe if you're a skeptic of the resurrection and Christianity, this Sunday might be a little disappointing for you. But maybe you're not a skeptic. Maybe you're a sinner. And not just a sinner like all of us sin, but a sinner like my friend Larry. Larry goes to another church, a church that I used to go to. And Larry goes to church every Sunday, but he sits in the balcony. He sits in the balcony and he won't sit anywhere else. And as soon as the sermon's done, Larry's out of there. Because Larry knows something that no one else knows about himself, but only he and God. And that's 35 years. 35 years ago, he did something that totally derailed his life. He sinned badly. But his life's back on track. And even though he's there in church, he still feels massive amounts of guilt and shame. You ever experienced that? I mean, we confess our sins as we begin worship. You ever have it where you you confess your sins or think about your sins, and then one pops in your mind and a sin stays there a little longer than what you're comfortable with. Now, maybe it's something you did when you were a kid or something back in college. Maybe it's an episode of anger, an abortion, a divorce. Maybe it's something you did a long time ago. Maybe it's something you did just this week but it makes you feel guilty, makes you feel shame. And all it does is remind you about why Easter had to happen in the first place. And so for you, Easter is a little disappointing. But maybe you're not that kind of sinner. Maybe you're not a skeptic either. Maybe you are a steady Eddie. I mean, you are in church every single Sunday. You are there all the time. This resurrection business, got it. Believe it. I'm on it. You wouldn't say you're perfect, but there's nothing glaring in your life. No major problems, no big sins, nothing you really need to confess. You don't have any real questions about your faith. You're here, just like every other Sunday. And that's the problem. For you, you just feel like it's every other Sunday. You get it. You know it's Easter. It's supposed to be a different. But you just don't feel it. You lack what you want, that spiritual excitement in your life. You've been there before. You want it again. You want to feel closer, connected to Christ and walk with him, but you just, you're not. Today might feel a little disappointing for you. but that's why I love this gospel account. That's why I love how the writer to this gospel, Luke, takes a beam and shines it brightly on Peter. Because Peter's someone we all can relate with. Whether you are a skeptic, Peter has played that role. I mean, what else was he then a skeptic when he said, no, Jesus, I don't really think I need your death. I don't really think you are going to die. Don't do that, Jesus. Don't do that. What else was Peter than a sinner when the night before Jesus died, he cheated on his best friend and he cheated on his Savior all for a moment of pleasure, all for a moment of comfortability in life. And we're pretty harsh on Peter, but let's be honest, he is a steady Eddie. Look, he is the only one here at the open tomb. He's there and he wants to feel what those women at the tomb felt. He is risen. Guys, listen, this is what two angels told us but he's there. Now he's walking away, wondering what just happened. But you want to know what the skeptic, the sinner, and the every Sunday Christian all share in common? It's the surprise of Easter that Peter felt. The Easter is disappointing. It's empty like the empty tomb, if, if you share one more thing with Peter, and that is that you make Easter all about your senses, that you make Easter all about what you feel, all about your emotions, all about what you think, what you're experiencing. I mean, after all, isn't that what the skeptic does when they look at the resurrection, they go, this doesn't make Sense to me. This doesn't make sense to my logic. Isn't that what the sinner does when they look inside at their feelings, whether they are shame or guilt, and they go, nah, there isn't love for me. I mean, isn't that even what the steady every every Sunday Christian experiences when they gauge their Easter celebration? They try to qualify their faith by looking inside. They're making Easter about their senses. And listen, I'm not trying to tell you your feelings are wrong, your senses are not right, or even that they're sinful, because they're not. But listen, if you make Easter all about your senses, well, then there's something very spiritually significant that's going on. Christian author Don Matza says this. He said, it's not what you think of yourself, but that you think of yourself, irresistibly, without fail, that is the source of all of our spiritual misery. It's not what you think of yourself, it's that you do and you do and I do all the time that is the source of our spiritual misery. It's us, it's you, it's me, it's our feelings, it's what we think that is the reason why Easter might be disappointing and life might even be full of spiritual misery. Because you want to know what? Easter is not about your senses. Easter is about his sentences. It's about Jesus' words. It's about Jesus' proclamation that he made on that first Easter morning. And this is what the writer to the Luke's gospel wanted us to see Most clearly, remember his words. Remember what he said to you. Remember his sentences. That was the announcement, the angelic announcement on that first Easter morning. He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you, while he was in Galilee, the Son of Man must die. He must be handed over to sinners and be crucified. And on the third day, be raised again. Remember his sentences. That's what the angels said. In Jesus' ministry, Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's back in John chapter 2. And the disciples back in John chapter 2 said, Oh, no, 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 Jesus, come on. It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. It was because, it was because they remembered his sentences that their senses and their lives were changed forever. This last Monday, a historic and iconic temple, a cathedral was destroyed. Notre Dame Dame Cathedral in Paris, France was destroyed in a fire and I was driving in a car and talking to my wife on the phone when I got the news, my wife told me and I'm, I'm sure what I felt what I experienced was not different than most people throughout the world. Disappointment. A lot of sadness that the glory and the grandeur that was in that cathedral would be lost. But as I watched the news and read the tweets throughout the week of the millions pouring in and the promises that this cathedral will be rebuilt, a thought came across. That seems kind of pessimistic, but it struck me. Do you know what's going to happen to Notre Dame after it's rebuilt? Whether it's one year, five years, or ten years, you know what's going to happen? Well, the same thing that's been happening to that cathedral since it was first built in the 1100s. It's going to suffer the wear and tear of time. It's going to be renovated again. It's going to be rebuilt to some degree in the future until that day when it falls. You see, in a lot of ways, that cathedral is a lot like human psyche, human sensitivity. We crumble, we fall, we burn out. But We love a good renovation project, a good self-improvement project. We love to build cathedrals, castles of emotional stability that can't fall, but they do. We do. We all fall at some point or another. And if we build on our senses, if we build on ourselves, our sentiments, well, we're the reason for our spiritual misery, but can I read you some words that the former skeptic and the recovering sinner Peter wrote a few years after the resurrection? This is what Peter wrote. He said, All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, and the flowers fall. But The word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. My friends, this is what Easter is all about. It is about his sentences. It is about his word, his proclamation that I came and I said I would do exactly what I just did. Destroy this temple, willingly give up my body and in three days I will raise it again. And because Jesus rebuilt his temple, because Jesus was raised from the dead, because he stands forever, well, that means something for you and me. That means something for you and I for the rest of our lives that we are standing on the foundation of Jesus Christ and we have certain and sure promises from him. Oh, We have some sweet sentences from him. We have some sentences for sinners, sentences that give hope, that give peace, that give forgiveness. And if you're a sinner this morning, write this down and read this later. Romans chapter five, this is a sentence for you, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Oh, you're still sinners. Christ died for us. Listen, you make this Easter, you make your life about your senses, and you will feel shame. You'll feel guilt. You'll always feel weak. You'll feel like you're never enough. But you make this Easter, and you make your life about his sentences, and you will know peace, you will know righteousness, you will know peace what it is like to be one with God, you will know what it is like to always be enough because you will know Christ's forgiveness. Oh, there's sentences for sinners. There's sentences for the Steady Eddies that are here every Sunday and just want some spiritual stimulus. Sentences, write this one down. First Peter chapter 1. This one's for you. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, and never fade. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Listen, you make this Easter about your senses And you're always going to wonder if I feel it enough for Jesus. You're going to go through trials of faith. And you're going to wonder why that flame of faith feels like it's fading. But you make this Easter. And you make your life about his sentences, and I promise you, you will know what it's like to have a flaming faith, a faith that does not stop burning, a faith that is of greater worth than gold, a heart filled with inexpressible joy, and a living hope, a hope that transforms your life into a life of purpose and praise for God. We have sentences, yeah, even for the skeptic, Sentences written by a former skeptic who is more militant than any skeptic I know because his name was Saul and he used to kill Christians because he tried to snuff out their faith. He wrote this. You're going to want to write this one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's what we read earlier. Paul who was formerly Saul, said, what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, that he appeared to the twelve, and after he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, he then appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Skeptic, and all of us have a piece of skepticism inside of us, you make this Easter about your senses, and you will always have questions. And I'm not saying that I or any other Christian is going to answer all of your questions, but you make this Easter about his sentences, and I promise you, you will have sentences, sensible evidence that you cannot intelligently ignore. Listen, if Christ did not raise from the tomb, I am to be pitied most. But if he did, then what? If Christ was raised, then what? Then everything he ever said is true then everything he ever claimed to be he was and everything he ever promised will come to be and every sentence that he ever spoke contains within it every reason you need for hope, for peace, for courage, for resilience, for love. For there is a love like his and there in the center of all of that love, you and I can rest. That's what Easter is all about. It's not about your senses. It's about his sentences that bring joy, that, go, that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. How many of you like playing video games, enjoy playing video games? Let me put it this way. How many of you have ever played a video game, arcade, computer, gaming system, your phone? All right. All right. My friends tell me I lead a pretty sheltered and sad life because I haven't played video games for like 15 years. But there is a video game I absolutely love. I'm obsessed with Tetris. It's on my phone. But no matter what video game you play, the goal of all video games is the same, right? It's to win, not to lose, right? Every video game is basically set up in a similar fashion, That the idea is through practice, through cunning, through skill, that you make it from level to level until you beat the end boss and you win. And certainly there's challenges along the way, but you're the hero of the story. You're in the driver's seat. And through perseverance, practice, or maybe you get some special bonus or power up, well, eventually you get to the next level. You come to the big bad boss. You beat him. And you win, right? That's what makes a pretty fun video game. But recently I heard about a video game as much different from that. In fact, this video game is really hard to play. It's it's impossible to win because it mirrors life. The game is called That Dragon Cancer. And it was created by a husband and a wife, a team of video game designers. Their names are Ryan and Amy Green. And they created this video game called That Dragon Cancer when their two-year-old son was diagnosed with brain cancer. They created it as a memorial to him, but also as a means for them to creatively cope with this trial they were going through. Their son's name is Joel, and there's a lot that you can do for Joel in this video game. You can try different cancer treatments. There's a lot you can do with Joel in this game. You can do the things that he liked to do, but there's one thing you can't do for Joel in this game, and that's save him. That dragon cancer always wins it beat Joel. And then as the screen goes black, it flashes. It goes white and it says loading. Because there is another level. There's another level that you're brought into. And in fact, you are brought into it via a boat. You come to the other side and there sitting on the other side is Joel. And on a picnic table in front of him is all his favorite foods and he's laughing and enjoying all of his favorite toys and you get to experience life with Joel. Because Ryan and Amy Green are Christians and they believe this sentence from scripture. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive again. Again. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. While Joel couldn't beat death and you and I can't beat death, you can be brought through death into life because there is a hero. There is a dragon slayer and his name is Jesus. His name isn't Joel, his name isn't Matt, and it's not your name. But there is a hero in this story who went into the arena to fight death and on good Friday went toe-to-toe with death and fought death to the death on the cross. But on Easter morning, he conquered death. And this is Easter's sentence. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where o oh, death is your victory. Where o oh, death is your sting. Thanks be to God, for he gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The old hymn says, Death is dead, love has won, Christ has conquered. This is Easter's sentence. Is it possible that a skeptic, a sinner, A saint can all experience an Easter, can all experience life that knows no disappointment, but only joy, only hope, only love, only peace. Well, I know there is. (laughs) And it's not because I sense that or I've experienced that, it's because of this sentence Christ is risen, He is not here. Oh, what sweet joy this sentence gives. I know that my Redeemer lives.